Welcome to TED's Podagogy. Today my guest is Anne Castles, Distinguished Professor in the Department of Cognitive Science at Macquarie University. Today we're going to take on the slightly controversial topic of phonics. Hello Anne. Hello John. So I think the first question really has to be, when we're talking about phonics, we're not really talking about a singular beast, are we? I mean, phonics comes in many shapes and forms. Do you want to give us just an overview of, you know, a, what phonics is and how it can come in those different shapes and forms? Sure. Yeah, you're, you're definitely right. It, it comes in many different shapes and forms, which I think is is part of what's made this debate so um, difficult and complicated in a way. I mean, at its most absolute basic form phonics is simply well it's obviously a teaching method and it's a teaching method in which children are taught the relationships between broadly speaking letters and sounds in an alphabetic writing system now it's a little bit more complicated than that in that when we say letters we don't necessarily just mean a single letter we certainly do teach that like you know c is k etc but it can also be groups of letters so for example um double e makes a single sound e so that's why we talk about graphemes and phonemes rather than letters and sounds because a grapheme is any set of letters uh, that makes a single sound in the, in an alphabetic language and of course the reason that phonics um, instruction is thought to be important is that you know you can teach a relatively small number of these relationships and give children the capacity to read a relatively large number of words uh, because you know in alphabetic systems they're uh, a code for sound and so if you teach children these basic uh, letter sound relationships they can then go convert many um, the letters of many words that they see into sounds and if they have that, that word in their vocabulary they can also get to the meaning of the word. Now of course it doesn't always work uh, but it's a, it's a pretty reliable system in most alphabetic languages. But as you say, you know, there's certainly devil in the detail. Um, there's obviously numerous phonics, <clears throat> there's obviously numerous phonics programs out there and they operate very differently. Some of them are designed to be administered one-on-one. -on -one. Some of them are designed to be administered in a classroom setting. Uh, they differ in the number of rules that they teach. They might differ in the order in which they teach those rules. Um, and they obviously differ in the way they teach them as well. There are many different methodologies of how these letter sound correspondences are, are taught. And probably, I suppose, most importantly from the point of view of the, the phonics debate, there's a real distinction between what we might think of as systematic phonics programs, which are teaching those rules in a very structured and ordered manner, usually beginning with the simplest and most frequent uh, mappings, you know, those individual letters and sounds of the alphabet, and then moving on to the more difficult ones. Uh, and that's in contrast to what we might think of as non-systematic phonics, where it's done much more in the context of reading the child's um, reading with the teacher um, standard texts and the teacher might take the opportunity um, to teach a particular correspondence or a particular sound as they're going along as part of the um, broader reading process rather than a much more sequenced and structured uh, phonics instruction. Does the research suggest which of those approaches is more effective? Yes, the research um, definitely suggests that 
the systematic approach is most effective. And you can see the reasons why that would be because um, you can control, or the teacher can control sort of the extent and the sequence of mappings being taught and give the children also an opportunity to practice uh, one lot before they move on to the next lot. Whereas obviously if you're reading natural text, it's much difficult to more difficult to control that. It can still be done and always there will be some children who will be fine no matter which way you teach them. Uh, they're just naturally more adept at, at picking up this sort of thing. And where we're really concerned about the importance of systematic phonics is for the children who might have more of a propensity to struggle, who need this to be very explicit and very sequenced and structured. And then the evidence suggests that the systematic is best. And I guess in that, within that structured uh, approach of the systemic phonic, uh, systematic phonics, that you, that doesn't necessarily mean a dry delivery. I mean, some of the some of the delivery you get in primary schools is, is incredibly creative with the you know the little actions you can do, or the, the you know I think one of them has creatures that you can um, like little actions with creatures that correspond to yes. uh, graphemes, and so it doesn't necessarily Absolutely. mean a dry delivery. Absolutely not. Um, I think it's been one of the very unfortunate um, sort of myths I suppose about phonics that that it is very dry that it's very skill and drill and the children sit there it's like grad grind you know doing these things whereas and and maybe there was a time in the 50s and 60s where some teaching was more like that but these days as you say many phonics programs are extremely um you know, interactive, interesting, engaging for children. They, yes, often involve um, doing actions and songs as well as uh, learning the sounds. So certainly it's not the case that um, all phonics is boring. And of course, the other thing to bear in mind here is that there's nothing more fun or motivating for a child than succeeding at something. So if they learn phonics well and then find that they're able to very quickly read quite a few simple words again if we teach just even um, 10 letter sound correspondences there's a lot of words we can give a child to read uh, that experience of success is incredibly enjoyable and motivating for children and does the, do a lot of the studies focus on that uh, initial learning to read period for you know four or five year olds for, for a phonics in intervention or is there also research where maybe you get a child uh, who's reached the age of 11, 12 who's still struggling and does, is phonics effective there or even adult learners who maybe you know may have not been to school or, or maybe not had the correct instruction in school and, and, and want to learn to read at that age. Is phonics still applicable? Yes it's a good question. It's certainly it's fair to say that the vast majority of the research has focused on initial reading instruction, mm. but uh, there have also been um, uh, studies done looking at older children diagnosed with dyslexia or reading disorders who also have been shown to benefit from standard phonics instruction, mm. um, and that's true in adults as well. So there's no doubt that uh, phonics can be of assistance if the person has that gap in their knowledge at any time. Of course, um, identifying the appropriate programs and materials for older children and adults 
um, is much more difficult because a lot of the programs are, um, you know, targeted towards younger children. It's certainly a challenge I know that a lot of uh, clinicians have is finding material that's more appropriate uh, for for older children who might not necessarily want to, you know, <laughs> engage with the sorts of things that are designed for, uh, you know, reception children. And when these um, schemes are being researched, can they only really say that this type of systematic phonics works in this situation? Or is it possible to generalise and say, you know, this is one example of a systematic phonics approach, but we can say that systematic phonics is successful because we've looked at this one approach? Or do most studies look at several approaches? Yes, it's another good question. Most studies probably do look at a, a particular implementation. Mm. And as you say, there have been numerous different kinds of implementation. But the thing to realize here is there've also been numerous, hundreds, thousands of studies that have looked at phonics in, in various ways and in various forms and using various measures of outcomes. Mm. And so I think we're at the point where we can, in any one study, we can usually only say, we've demonstrated that this is effective in this context and for these measures. But we're at a point where now, I guess we can almost say there's sort of a, a, a sort of second level of confidence where we can say we now have a pretty good understanding that if an instruction program follows these basic principles, if it is systematic, if it is explicit, um, if it does target these particular um, you know, graphemes and phonemes, then most likely that's going to be effective because it fits with a much broader evidence base we have on what is likely to work. And do those um, studies look at, and we know that you know, Nick Gibb in this country celebrated the success of uh, phonics in, in terms of the, the, the results these kids are getting as they go on in primary school, but how long term do we know reliably that the impact of phonics is being felt? I mean, are we still are we at a point where yes. we can predict, you know, influence or impact into adulthood? It's, it's certainly true that it's been more difficult to, you know, document evidence for the success of phonics over the longer term. Mm. The really strong effects are for more short-term follow-up um, testing. That said, there certainly is research to suggest, again, that, that those children that come in either from disadvantaged backgrounds or who have a propensity to struggle, there have been studies that have demonstrated quite long-term benefits of phonics on those children, including, you know, up into late primary school and high school. Mm. So we're starting to see that evidence come through. I think we do need more of it. I think the phonics check that you have in the UK is an opportunity for a, a grand experiment here, um, <laughs> and we'll be starting to see that unfold over the next few years. Of course, with something like that, it's very difficult to definitively attribute causes. Um, other things change over time. Other aspects of teaching instruction in the UK have changed over that time. And so I think it's, it's always very hard to definitively point uh, to these kind of long-term effects just because so much happens in the interim. But certainly I think everybody's got their eye on looking more and more to try and identify those long-term effects and particularly to identify who who are the children who are really demonstrating these long-term effects over time. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the sort of the counter-argument from some of the, the whole, wor whole word advocates is that 
by taking phonic uh, by taking reading instruction out of the context of of, of reading if you like if you, if you want to view it that way that you then get a problem at the comprehension stage but i guess it's you know would that comprehension problem have happened regardless of how they were taught to read or not it must be very hard to isolate the variable very hard to isolate those variables and of course the other really important thing to keep in mind here this is the problem with making this debate very black and white as as happens um, by proponents of both sides in some cases is that of course there's never the suggestion that all the reading instruction children are getting even in reception in initial reading instruction should be phonics and nothing else mm. of course children should still be um, very much enmeshed in a rich language environment being read to doing um, all sorts of uh, reading reading and language activities with their teachers and at home because we know that comprehension that, that what you mentioned what really kicks in those kinds of problems in sort of year three or year four very much based in oral language and so that's something that you want to be working on all the time right away right from preschool you want to be building children's oral vocabulary and their broader background knowledge and their broader language skills so once they do crack the code of reading then they've got the comprehension abilities to be able to understand what they're reading. And um, as you say, uh, you know, the, the phonics is just the, the mechanism of getting them there. We need also to be obviously be instructing and doing everything we can to make sure children can understand what they read. Mm. Do you think then that the concentration on phonics is because it seems to me that the schools buy in a lot of phonics intervention and yet the other elements you mentioned are, are seen as the teacher's job and yet they buy in the phonics intervention and so it's been commercialised and obviously education is very sensitive around commercialisation uh, particularly in this country around products why is it that phonics has sort of attracted the commercial uh, side why have policy makers concentrated so hard on it and is that yes. it has that sort of built into the controversy around it really Yes. Um, it's interesting to think about, isn't it? I mean, my feeling is that the reason that, well, there are more programs out there and that um, schools and teachers buy into them is, in a sense, it's kind of the easiest thing to shift. <laughs> you know, you get great bang for your buck with phonics because, as we said earlier, with relatively little teaching that needs to be done, you're buying a child a huge amount. The problem about something like vocabulary or comprehension is we know, although we need to be doing it, it's much more of a long haul. It's much more difficult to teach. And in fact, we, you know, we're still trying to discover what the best ways are to instruct these kinds of things. So I think in a way, it is because teachers um, and schools more generally can see that this is something where they can produce a change quite quickly and quite effectively and you know you can you can put that in place again we're only talking about doing this very much in initial reading instruction getting the children on the path and then and then being able to move on to those other things which in some ways are more amorphous and involve a much broader um much broad much more broad brush approach you know you can't something like building children's comprehension is multi-pronged you can't buy a program off mm. the shelf that's going to teach that to children so in essence the, the the phonics program is also almost the most automatable part of the reading instruction process so exactly it's easy to exactly. be a product for it and easy to use it whereas everything else is more complex essentially 
correct. That, that's that's the way I think about it. And you know, I think it, it's it's really unfortunate that, um, in a sense, I, I know this is true in Australia. I expect it's true in the UK as well. That the two approaches have become sort of politically aligned as well. So, you know, phonics is very much seen as being sort of the conservative, <laughs> you yeah. know, kind of approach to reading as opposed to something like whole language or balanced instruction, which is this much more, uh, you know, um, liberal kind of a, um, approach to um, instruction and children's learning. Because the thing about phonics is in some ways, it, it can be the great equaliser. You know, if you have a child who comes in from a disadvantaged background, who perhaps doesn't have a, a lot of background knowledge, who perhaps doesn't have rich language, if you give them good phonics instruction and they learn to read, they can go off and read whatever they want and build that language and that background knowledge, which is so key to their um, success and their ability to access the curriculum later on. So, you know, something like phonics is, is something that we can put in place reasonably easily. We know how to do it, broadly speaking. <laughs> yeah. And and it's something that can really um, give children that need it what they need to, um, you know, then springboard onto all of those other things. And so do you think a lot of the controversy around phonics is down to a distaste for the commercialisation and the political elements that have sort of attached themselves to phonics or, or is there compelling evidence or arguable evidence for whole word, whole word as well? I mean, do they have a case, if you like? Um, well, on your first question, I'm always really surprised when this thing about the distaste for the commercial programs comes up. Um, there, there seems to also be an implication that there's there's all sorts of providers who are, you know, making millions off the back of, yeah. <laughs> of these commercial programs. To the best of my knowledge, <laughs> you know, even commercial providers of, of phonics programs, I don't think they're rolling in the dollars. It's not that, you know, that much of a, um, of a sort of lucrative uh, career choice. Uh, but even aside from that, of course, phonics can be implemented in a whole range of ways you can buy a commercial program but it can also be done um, entirely based on materials that you can download for free off the internet or a, the, the teacher could make themselves so it doesn't certainly doesn't have to be like that and it is I think unfortunate and I don't the answer is I don't really understand why that is seen as such a negative of course you know schools and teachers purchase um, programs for all sorts of things all the time. Um, you know, it, it's odd that that has, has become so much associated with phonics. Um, in terms of the whole language side and, and you know, whether there's a, there's a case there, you know, again, of, of course there's more to reading than phonics. So mm. in that sense, of course, we want children to experience rich, you know, high quality literature and for that to be part of their learning. And we want to get children reading that rich, high quality literature absolutely as soon as possible. So the argument on the phonics side is, is not that those things aren't important, but that phonics is the best way to get children to the point where they're doing exactly that. So it's sort of agreeing on the end point, but disagreeing on how you get there. That's really the thing. Is it a false binary then as well, in the sense that people see the two as oppositional, but actually phonics, you know, one is an element of the other or one of is, co is complementary to the other? 
Well, one kind of describes, in a sense, what a, what, what a skilled fluent reader looks like, and the other one has a particular view about what to do in the very early stage of instruction to help a child get there. Yeah. You know, that's a key difference. And I think, I do think about this a lot, just trying to understand why this debate has been so long-standing and so heated in some cases. And I think the other side of it is that, you know, of course, a lot of teachers in Australia and the UK, um, especially older teachers, have used whole language methods for a long time. And all of those teachers have experienced success, you know, because again, as I say, there are plenty of children that will learn to read regardless of the method used mm. um, and, and will pick up these phonics rules for themselves without being explicitly taught them. So I think it can be very hard for teachers because, you know, they've been teaching for many years using a particular approach and they've seen many, many children learn to read fluently. So it's hard for them to turn around and be told that there's a better way of doing it. And it can be very hard for them to separate out the signal from the noise in a sense to sort of understand that although they have had success, that on balance with these large-scale research programs, we nevertheless um, find that another method is, is more successful and helps more children, particularly those who, as I say, have that propensity to struggle. So I can understand how hard that would be to stop doing something that you've seen, you know, have, have success for, over many years. I guess this as well, isn't it? Like those children that those teachers may have, you know, really beating themselves up over and said, oh, I just can't get this child reading. This is this is perhaps the intervention, you know, in the same way as a special education need, you know, you have specific interventions that can help those individuals that are struggling, but also have a knock-on impact of just raising everyone else just a little bit as well. You, you could see right. phonics like that. That's right. That's right. And there's very much that view that, you know, um, it, perhaps phonics is not absolutely necessary for all children but it's not going to do any children any harm mm. um, especially if it's part of a rich broader literacy instruction program um, so very much that idea that everyone can benefit and there's less research on this and there should be more but um, even for children who uh, pick these things up fairly naturally and pick up basic letter sound correspondences through their own reading, there's still the potential that this explicit phonics instruction can be helpful for them down the track in terms of spelling. Um, and spelling, we know, is another pathway to building up fluent reading. So, you know, there's, there's ways in which phonics can play out and be of assistance, um, even for children who perhaps don't need it so desperately as, as some of those um, more struggling readers. It sort of brings us on to the, to the article you um, co-wrote for us back back uh, earlier this year about ending the reading wars as such, but really calling for a, a more holistic approach to reading, perhaps calling, not calling into line, I guess, but emphasising that, yes, phonics is really important, but it's not the only thing you should be doing, even though it's the only thing perhaps uh, primary schools in England at least are tested on now. You know, the phonics check does focus the teaching rather uh, in those early stages, but also bringing in these other elements that are really important perhaps to give equal time to or even more time to. Yes, I mean, what we talked about um, in our uh, research article and also in the in the article for you is that we feel it's sort of really unfortunate um, that the term 
balanced literacy has come to have a particular meaning which is not one that we would want it to have. So balanced literacy in some senses has been seen as a synonym for whole language. Mm. And we definitely wouldn't want it to use that term for that reason because um, saying balanced literacy can sometimes be a way of sort of excusing the fact that you're really not teaching phonics systematically. You can sort of say, oh, we do a bit of phonics here and there. We have a balanced approach. That's certainly not what we mean. We're absolutely clear that phonics has to be, you know, early, explicit and systematic. But what we do think is that, you know, the term balanced is is a really good one because what we need is is something where we understand the developmental pathway of children learning to read and where our instruction is then very carefully mapped onto what we know about that. So it doesn't mean you, you do a little bit of everything all the time. What it means is that, you know, when a child's first beginning to learn to read, you really focus on phonics. That's going to get them to that first step. But then obviously when they're more advanced, you, don't, you stop doing phonics and you move on to other stuff. And that's where even other things like teaching um, morphology, teaching the suffixes and the affixes and those sorts of things may become very valuable. We're focusing on uh, com various comprehension strategies, strategies and things can be helpful. So what we are calling for is, I suppose, balanced literacy, but balanced across reading development and and informed by what we know about reading de development at, at, at different points in the process. Is it a, is, is, is that first year of schooling at the age of five or in, I know that differs in different countries is that the best time to teach phonics I mean is that or should you know should there yes. be interventions earlier or later? Um, well children as you say children do start school at different times in Australia they start about a year later than um, in uh, the UK but I think the first year of schooling is the right place for this to happen some children will have picked up some of this beforehand um, some won't but I don't think we should be expecting parents to do this mm -hmm. this is something that teachers are you know most qualified to do um, and they're expert in it and or well, they can be expert in it and it's something that um is is should begin at the commencement of formal schooling would be my view and when you when this balanced approach to 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 reading instruction are we seeing phonics as step one so the, te the child arrives at school and we're, we're teaching them their phonics and then we're going to teach them some vocabulary and then we're going to give them some complex text or more complex text or is this all happening at the same time well again i think you know, you can consider balance in a range of ways. You certainly, obviously, wouldn't do nothing but phonics <laughs> for the yeah. whole reception year of schooling that children would be. <laughs> that would be a bit much. So, of course, you're doing all of those things. You're doing um, some phonics. You're reading a story to the children. Um, you're giving them the opportunity to look at lovely picture books, doing all of those sorts of things. But your focus, the thing that you're really focusing your instruction on at different stages of schooling, might change as I said so again you know once a child gets to year two or year three there's still some phonics rules that they still may need to be learning at that point and and there might be some children who are struggling a little who need further consolidation but obviously by that point other children are going to be focusing a lot more on learning how to read um, you know complex texts and and reading chapter books and those other sorts of things and helping them through uh, that process of um, much more complex, fluent 
reading. Um, so the balance, you know, the, the balance needs to be considered both at any point in time and also across across schooling. It's interesting you say that actually because you know that sort of long term approach to phonics rather than the oh oh god they haven't made it they haven't got it before the phonics check is 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 a sort of tension isn't it because i mean i've been to a school and i've tweeted saying um oh i'm just seeing how this primary school approaches the children who haven't got phonics and you know i've struggled with phonics and i've had responses saying well there's no such thing you know that's just bad teaching of phonics every child if taught well will get phonics where do you sit on that on that debate Working as I do in um, reading disorders and dyslexia, I don't believe that it's true that all children will get it if they're taught properly. Mm. It's certainly true that probably a lot more children can than would do in a whole language environment. So there certainly are children who we call kind of instructional casualties in the sense. It's not that they... um, really have a reading disorder but they perhaps just um, haven't been taught explicitly and have needed that instruction mm-hmm. but there certainly is a subset of children who um, will continue to struggle um, well past the first year or two of schooling and they're the ones of course that many researchers like me spend our careers trying to understand and try to trying to discover how how best to help them. That said, it certainly is true that the sooner we can get basic phonics in place, the better, for all the reasons that we've talked about, because that's what gets a child on the path to independent reading. And if they can read for themselves, then that is so much more effective in them building up their fluency with reading than anything a teacher or a parent can do, because the child's able to you know, control their own exposure to, to text. And those struggling readers you were talking about that you work with, is phonics actually a, a, a quicker way, if you like, of identifying them than they perhaps would be without phonics? Can you spot those children better? Certainly it's extremely... Yes, I think that's true. So reading difficulties come in a range of different forms. But certainly a large number of children with reading difficulties, or dyslexia if you use that term, do have uh, a problem with learning letter sound correspondences. And so absolutely, by having something like a phonics check in place, you can pick the ones who seem not to be responding well more quickly, um, and, and, and that's very much the idea, and get some intervention in place. So in the US, a very strong model that you might have heard of is the response to intervention mm. model. And that's very much about you know a first stage of um, of any intervention is really high quality initial reading instruction, including phonics. Mm. And then what you do is you look to see which children aren't responding well to that basic instruction. And then there's a sort of tier two phase where they might have some small group intervention focusing on them uh, more intensively. And then if a child's still struggling, that's when you move to the sort of tier three, one-on-one targeted intervention. So you're absolutely right that by having really good quality initial phonics instruction and having something like a phonics check, you A, hopefully make the numbers of children in those tier two and tier three much less, but also means you identify the children that need to be in those tiers more quickly. Mm. I guess my final question then is we've been looking in the UK a lot about interventions 
earlier ages, so naught to three, basically. And the cog science around that suggests that it's very tricky because children develop at different rates. And so, you know, you might identify a problem at two and try and intervene, which might have resolved naturally by the time they're three years old, for example. Is, yes. Does that become more stable with time? And as such, are you expecting, would you identify, say, a young child in England who might start school at four? And they might have resolved naturally, whereas in Australia, if they start in ages six, you'll get less variation there. Is, is there anything in that? I, I think I would say that's right. It's, it's exactly the reason that I would hesitate um, in answer to your earlier question to suggest that phonics should be taught um, in preschool mm. uh, or that we should be putting any sort of, uh, you know, um, identification of children in place that early because it's just simply so unreliable, exactly mm. what you say. We certainly know at a broad correlational level that there... Um, are correlations between children's early language skills, things like phonological awareness, their early letter knowledge, very good predictor of subsequent reading. So we know that it's sort of a broad population correlational sort of level. But for any individual child, as you say, there's just huge variability. And if you try to sort of identify or diagnose too heavily um, at that point, you'd be investing a large, num- a large amount of resources in children, many of whom won't need it. Uh, and as you say, they will <laughs> turn out to be completely fine by the time they hit school. So that's not to say that it's not important to understand the sort of early risk factors mm. and perhaps to have, you know, to know enough to perhaps keep an eye on those children and see and look at them and assess them closely once they start school. So sort of certainly being aware and we do know the kinds of things that are likely to be associated with a reading problem. Um, And I think you're right that uh, sort of you do start, some children do start school very young in the UK and it is possible that some of those children are perhaps... um, there may, may be some unreliability in in diagnosing a problem too early in those children. Mm. That's fascinating. Thank you very much, Anne. That's a, an interesting chat, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of feedback when this when this goes live. <laughs> no problems at all. It was it was great to talk to you.